Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast, the podcast that wants to get men talking. I'm delighted to say that I am joined on the podcast this week by a gentleman by the name of Andy Taylor. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. So, Andy, I'm going to get straight straight into it to explain to everybody that doesn't know who you are um, a bit more about you, about your career and how you've got to where you are these days. Now, I came across you initially because I'm an Exeter City football fan and you used to be an Exeter City footballer. Am I correct? That is correct. And well done for supporting the club so well over the years. I've done my best <laughs> through thin and thick. Yeah, there's definitely been some ups and downs over the years, that's for sure. Definitely. But you, you obviously didn't spend your entire career um, with Exeter City. So give us a bit of a, you know, a football career that you, that you, uh, you, you had personally. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, my dream was to play for Manchester United Football Club uh, from a very, very early age. Um, I come from a family of Manchester United supporters. Um, and uh, that was all I ever wanted to do for from a really young age, from uh, as, as early as I can remember, sort of seven years old, okay. uh, around the kind of 1990 World Cup, um, and that kind of really lightened the fire within me um, to, to that excitement of, of wanting to be a player um, and actually wanting to be the best player in the world. That was that was kind of my ultimate goal. And um, Manchester United was my destination in order to, to kind of fulfill that. So um, I was fortunate enough to, at the age of 14, to be uh, signed by Manchester United. Wow. Um, and, and coming from, from Exeter, being an Exeter boy, that was uh, a bit of a dream come true. Um, and I ended up moving up there as a as a 16 year old after I finished my GCSEs and um, starting my apprenticeship there and and then becoming um, a full professional there. So I, I fulfilled part of my dream in getting there, but I didn't quite fulfill it in terms of um, making it to the first team um, and, you know, my ultimate dream of, of, of really wanting to be the best player in the world, which yeah. didn't quite happen for, for one reason or another. But um, it was a, a amazing experience, um, something that has... Uh, through the experiences that I had developed me into the person I am today um, mm-hmm. and the work that I do today in the support of, of people being their optimal self, really, um, and also to help kind of young athletes because I, I work very much in a, in a sporting setting um, to, to help uh, young athletes um, become the best that they can be. So it, it fulfills um, quite a lot of, of, of the, that criteria for for wanting to be the best that, that you possibly can be. Fantastic. And obviously uh, you you were with Man United, but then you came back to Exeter or were you at any other clubs as well? Yeah, I actually, I went to um, up around Manchester. There was um, a team called Northwich Victoria. So mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of tried to rebuild my career after having an, a kind of long-standing injury that was plaguing me. Um, and I wanted to go there and see whether I could kind of rebuild my career, um, see how the injury would kind of stand up. Um, so I spent a season there uh, playing part-time um, and then decided that I would try and get back into full-time football, which brought me back to, to Exeter. Um, and Eamon Dolan, being the manager at the time, um, knew a little bit about me. Um, there was there was kind of a connection there with 
um, some of the staff at, at Manchester United. So he he knew a little bit about me already. So invited me in to come and train and um, yeah, managed to finally, after a transfer embargo at the time, uh, managed to sign a contract. And then I stayed at Exeter for another five years, which um, uh, I had some fantastic experiences there uh, through the, the FA Cup, going back to Manchester United and playing at Old Trafford. I remember which, it well. <laughs> yeah, which seems crazy and you know in a roundabout way how it came full circle that wasn't how I imagined playing at Old Trafford but yeah. it was an amazing experience all in itself um and obviously being part of then the the team that that got promoted back into the football league which is where where the club you know should should be so mm-hmm. um yeah I fulfilled what I wanted to fulfill there and um that kind of really led me on to to the transition into into what I do now. Fantastic. So again, let's let's you know bit more detail about what you do now. The company that you run, I believe, alongside your wife, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, alongside yeah. my wife Claire, um, she's a sports rehabilitator, so she um, works on the treatment side in terms of injuries, and also she works as um, a clinical Pilates practitioner. So we run small Pilates uh, groups at our, our base in Fenny Bridges. And I'm a strength and conditioning coach, so I work alongside um, people that either are recovering from injury or wanting to, to develop their health. Um, and that works alongside their nutrition and their, their, um, their strength programs and their conditioning programs in order to, again, really look at the aspects of their life that they can develop to to be living and and being productive and being optimal so whether that's in their business or whether that's just in their daily living wanting to be the best that they can be and that's what we strive to provide uh, in in a tailor-made program for them so when you were talking earlier on about you know your ambitions as a, a small lad wanting to be the best footballer in the world and you know your only ambition was to play for Man United mm-hmm. and you know you, you achieved that but but clearly from a young age you had this had that idea that mindset was going to get you places and it clearly has and I, I I'm thinking now that that mindset is still something very much that you're you know you're a practitioner of. Yeah, very much so. And it's very much something that we work along with, with all our clients that we work with, um, because a lot of the time, um, their belief systems or their mindset is the thing that seems to be holding them back. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may come to us sometimes with uh, an injury, but the injury is not necessarily just the only thing that's inhibiting them. So once you start to unravel a few kind of beliefs around things and things that they they think they can't do or they can't strive for and once you start kind of peeling those layers back you start to really start to see people grow um and 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 then you see a positive effect in terms of their injury status as well so there's there's definitely a mindset and a mental side to those aspects that that need to be considered when we're working with different clients, when they come to us, is really trying to understand them and get a bit of background as to where they're coming from and mm. really find out what is it that they want to achieve? What is their purpose? Um, and what's their motivation? Um, and sometimes they don't know. So that's yeah. where just sitting down and talking with people one-to-one can really help to bring that out. And um, once they've 
can get that and harness that, then you know they they can really make things happen for themselves. It's really interesting that because that to me has been something that's evolved throughout my lifetime. Um, you know, as a young man, I don't remember anybody sort of saying, you know, having a positive mindset and, and, and that, you know, the, the thoughts and it may well have been around, but it was never preached to me. Mm. Whereas these days, you know, it's very prevalent and I'm a, and I'm a big practitioner of, you know, of, uh, mindfulness and all, all that kind of things, you know, for, for a positive outlook on life, you know, most people will turn around and something, you know, oh yeah, I'm quite positive, but actually, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just being positive about situations. It's about having yeah. the right mindset for that. Um, how open, and I'm going to specifically talk about men, cause I'm sure you work with both sexes, but hmm. how open are, are some men when they come to you? Look, you know, I've, I've got this injury is is the mindset is that sort of thing something that you always talk to them about or is is it just you know some of them are just like no look just fix my knee you know whatever yeah. It is. yeah um I, I think you can definitely intuitively pick up when someone is really open to it straight away or whether you have to take a bit of a um a, a lighter touch to it and just mm-hmm. kind of just gently ask questions along the way and it might be something that you don't delve into straight away, but you just over the weeks, because you're working one-to-one, is you can just just ask certain little questions just to delve a little bit deeper. They might have said something, which just is a nice lead-in to, yeah. <laughs> to then ask a further question. Um, and once you find that they start to talk about it, then that just allows for things to just flow a little bit. And 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 you start to find that there's a lot of things that maybe have been bottled up that just start to 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 come out and gradually come out sometimes. Sometimes it comes out straight away. And they are just at that point where they're just ready to mm-hmm. either make a transition in their life right there and then, or they're kind of want to but not quite sure. But once you have that little bit of time with them and and you get to to understand them a little bit more and, and you start to ask a little bit deeper questions, then it starts to come out. So it does, it depends on the individual and, and mm-hmm. you certainly, you, you can pick that up when you, when you have that initial uh, conversation with someone and, and you get a gauge for where they're kind of at. And I, I'm just wondering whether, you know, when someone works with you, by by the end of it, they're, you know, if, say, for example, I'm picking on the knee, you know, they're, they're, they've got a knee injury, they come and see you and, and that, that gets fixed. Hmm. But during that process, you've had those one-to-one situations with them where you can have those conversations and, like you say, they open up. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm going to assume, but correct me if I'm wrong, that that's not really your process. You're not trying to get them to open up, but that certainly from the way that you work is probably the process that you go through. And, yeah. and do you see them changing as, as you, you know, you get time to talk with them? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's probably the most rewarding um, part of, of the work is yes, you may be working with someone you know, on their injury, or they just want to lose weight, or, or they want to get a bit fitter or stronger. But actually, you see them evidently in front of you grow as a person and confidence mm. and, um, and, and just coming in at just a much brighter person. Um, and, and actually, they start coming back to you and say how they've impacted someone else in their circle. 
Wow. With with just their the the way that they are leading their life, and they're they're starting to be an example for someone else. Now that's when you see a real transition in someone, um, because the, that's what uh, I feel um, when someone starts to live in optimally. It's not just about them, but it's about the impact that they start to have of people around them as well. And then yeah. that's where you really see you know a, a, a real transition going. And and what made Andy Taylor this kind of person? You know, was there uh, was it your parents? Was there something at school? You know, what I, I imagine this kind of stuff isn't just it doesn't evolve. It kind of has to be taught a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think certainly from from parents, mm-hmm. um, and I think um, certainly from um, a couple of teachers on along the way that have that were very um, enthusiastic, very encouraging, um, and and just kind of gave a sense of belief um to you um so i think i've certainly picked those things up along the way but i think from my own individual experiences as well of of things when they haven't gone well um or things have happened where it feels like it's you know having to leave manchester united for example Mm. uh, as a young kid as a 19 year old that was like uh, the worst thing that could ever happen to me but life goes on life is a university and you're always learning and it's what you do with that and what you pick up and you have to use to in order to carry on and you just use that as another life example of that yeah things can go wrong but things get a lot better uh, along the way and you have a lot of things to be grateful for as 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 time goes on so um those experiences um help in speaking to people with a lot of truth as well because you're speaking from those experiences work because people do come to you at times when they sometimes at the at their lowest so mm. um when you can talk um and ex- and and show experience that, that you've been through that and you speak from some truth then you know people pick up on that and the, and that's how people can kind of you build a relationship with with someone yeah and and you can help them on their their own individual journey and if i may ask about because you've mentioned the injury a couple of times um what was that the thing that made you have to leave man united or was it something that happened after that no yeah so it was so i i'd struggled with it from uh, the age of 14 and i'd had about three operations by the time i got to 19 wow um and it broke down again like six months before like my contract was up at, at the end of my three years um, after signing as a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and the advice was that I should probably consider retirement because if, if this breaks down again after the operation that I finally had, um, then, you know, that could have an impact on your later life. Um, also, it, it, the operation after that again would have been kind of a year to 18 months to recover from because it yeah. would have needed you know, major surgery to um to my knee so um yeah that was that was that was the news at, at that time to to try and digest and then work out what i was going to do from then mm. so um yeah i was given some belief at the time by Roy Keane um, and Gary Neville were very good with me when it was the time that I was going to finish. And Roy Keane just turned around to me and said, you know, some 
surgeons can be wrong you know your own your own body um you are the only one that can make the decision of what you do next so and and that's what i took up so i, I did i started a degree at the time at salford and started playing part-time for northwich and i just i had something in me that said no you've got to go for it give it another another chance uh, I fulfilled what I need, what I wanted to do. I showed that I could get back from it, um, and I'm able to kind of talk from that experience as well for young athletes that I work with that have, are going through similar situations. Um, yeah, and and I can talk from that experience of, well, if you believe that you can and you put in the hard work, then it's possible. Yeah, and you can you can overcome a lot of things that people think uh, can't be overcome. So that's where I think experiences of going through those types of things help in terms of advice and feeding that forward and giving yeah. people belief when, you know, when they may be, may, may not have it. So, yeah, I mean, you, you can talk from firsthand experience and, you know, from, <laughs> from having to, you know, from having to leave one of the biggest football clubs in the world at the age of 19 and going through that because of injury, um, you've clearly learned a lot. And, you know, you're, you're going to be modest, <laughs> so I'm going to do it for you. But, you know, that allows you to talk to other people and, and, and actually give that scenario and say, but, you know, I recovered, I continued to play, I, you know, I rehabilitated and I, I got my career back. So, um, yeah, that must be an amazing thing to be able to teach people. Yeah, it is. And and just looking, kind of reflecting back, just those experiences of going through that taught me so much about um, my body and the work that I do now in terms of kind of helping people move better, helping to strengthen the body. Um, just those experiences alone helped me hugely. And then obviously, you know, going to university and, and going through that degree process and, and understanding training and uh and the body even even deeper mm. has just kind of you know allowed me to enhance upon those those experiences even more and then obviously the practical experience that i've had over the last 10 to 12 years of of actually practicing in that work and 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 um and continuing learning every day and <laughs> and things you know i pick things up every day yeah, I, I do love the fact that in that field, it's always called practicing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you better be good at this, mate. You've practiced enough. <laughs> yeah, quite. But, you know, doctors do the same thing, you know, so uh, you're in good company. Yeah. Um, I understand, again, just reading through your website, that you actually do some work with, with some children at primary school level as well. Is that uh, is that something you feel quite passionate yeah, about? Having yeah, You've got a couple of boys I've... yourself, haven't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, I have a, a eight-year-old and six-year-old. Um, yeah, so as part of my work, I work um, as a strength and conditioning coach. I, I run um, a, oh, a head of strength and conditioning and an elite talent program at Ivybridge Community College, which is okay. a secondary school. Mm -hmm. So as part of that, um, and, and some of the, the private work that I do in my own business is work with um, younger children as well to, to help develop kind of physical competency which is just being able to be strong and move well, which opens up the door for them to um, apply that to, to anything that they want to do in terms of yeah. physical activity um, and not be inhibited by not being able to move well, but just being taught in a systematic way 
that helps to build on where they are now and how that progresses over time. So that if they want to give something a go, then they feel that they have the ability to be able to do that. And I feel that's a lot of the barriers of, of children getting involved, maybe in sport, but just physical uh, activity in general is not necessarily feeling like they have the ability to be able to give something a go and therefore take mm. a step back rather than that step forward. So, yeah, I am very passionate about that. Um, and I've done a lot of work in trying to develop a, um, a movement curriculum in order to build that over, a, over the long term. So a, a, almost like a long term physical development program so that uh, a child can access at any point. Um, but there's always somewhere to move forward to and there's always somewhere to, to regress to if, if they need to as well. And there are certain periods, you know, throughout a child, um, um, childhood and, and moving into adolescence and certainly into adolescence where they go through, you know, peak height um, and, and they're, they're growing at such a, a, a fast rate that, you know, they, they do become uncoordinated at the time. They have to relearn skills. Um, and that's where just having a program where they can regress back to learn and relearn and then progress again is really important and, and important for them to understand, you know, that whole growth process as well. So, um, yeah, it's important that uh, the education part is there and it's important that it services them over a long period of time as well. That's fascinating. That is, I love the fact that, you know, and I imagine that kind of work as well, you're dealing with them. So there's going to be some mindset stuff involved in that as well, I guess. Very much so. Um, and it's something that we are building into um, our program, certainly at the school as well, and looking at trying to get some kind of measure of self-esteem and self-efficacy. So how they feel about themselves, but also how well they feel they can do things as well. Yeah. So by taking that measure and then having a program that, that runs through to try and learn and teach them these things is then we've got something to kind of go back to and, and assess again is, you know, is, is what we're doing having an impact in the way that they do feel about themselves or the way that they feel they can achieve things. So um, that's certainly something that um, we are trying to focus on now is just to try and see um, how that's being impacted um, because it's it's a huge part of um, just everyday living but certainly yeah. in you know from uh, a physical activity point of view it's huge as well um, and that's an ever-evolving process as well you know there's there's no okay we figured this out that's how we do it from now onwards you know that's going to change as as life and society changes I guess absolutely yeah uh, yeah absolutely and and I think providing them the tools of how they do navigate those different times as well. And I think that's something that we don't necessarily teach children mm. or give them the tools of how they deal with certain situations yeah. um, and, and how they deal with their emotions or understanding their emotions and, and why they uh, have certain emotions towards certain things. So um, giving them an understanding around that and the tools of how they can manage manage that um is, is an important part as well so it's not just what but how and, and why as well excellent so andy how do you look after yourself then you know obviously this is the sort of thing that you're living and breathing on a daily basis but if you take your day-to-day -day work away for a second yeah. you know what's kind of like the routine you have in the morning what's your yeah. workout what's your diet like how, do, how and you know and what sort of work do you do on your own brain as well 
Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, this is something probably developed more over maybe the last couple of years, certainly looking more on self-development and aspects like that. So my day kind of starts with getting up early um, and that will be around half past five, quarter to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be getting first light on my eyes, which is obviously around that time, at this time of year anyway. Yeah. Um, and and just getting outside, getting first light on the eyes, which kind of alerts the brain, tells the brain that it's, it's the start of the day. Um, hydrate. Um, and have a little pinch of salt in my water, which is something that I learned. Um, and the brain needs needs salt to wow. kind of function. Um, so that is my first port of, port of call. Certainly after the night and kind of being a bit dehydrated because mm-hmm. um, I haven't taken anything on board. So then I get into my exercise routine, and I do uh, a really simple body weight. Um, size but it's really high intensity so i trade duration for intensity so i want to get the maximum stimulus to the least amount of time so i do a very simple leg and upper body push pull um circuit and um that kind of prepares me for for my day really and, and kind of sets me up and then i will then listen to a podcast or write down um what I want to achieve for the day, or I will do some kind of um, six-phase meditation, uh, which is one that I like to do, which just kind of sets out intentions for the day. And uh, that kind of leads me in, into the first part of, of work for the day. And then I try to get about an hour and a half, and that's something that I've just been learning about recently about altradian rhythms which is that we kind of have these 90 minute work bouts um where we're in complete flow in our work so i try to um have an hour and a half where i can consciously sit down and go through uh, a piece of work that i'm working on at at the time Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of built into um knowing your temperature minimum as well which is something that i've just again been um learning about from dr andrew huberman and the huberman lab um so the temperature minimum is the lowest point that your temperature gets to um in the in the middle of the night so early hours of the morning then it tends to be a couple of hours before your average wake-up time so mine would say be around kind of four o'clock and then four to five hours after that time is the start of that kind of optimal flow that hour and a half time so around that kind of nine o'clock sort of time there's an hour and a half period where you'll be in kind of optimal kind of workflow so i'm trying to build these types of tools that are being researched in kind of neuroscience um and uh yeah try and and put those sort of things into into my daily routine as much as I uh, as I can really. But certainly, kind of getting first light on the eyes um, has been research has been really beneficial for the brain, for your health and your well being, um, and kind of sets all those kind of rhythms for the day because um, we work on this these twenty four hour rhythms um, and these cycles, and and that that kind of sets yourself up for. Uh, uh, alertness but but 
calm and focused and and that's helpful for kind of getting into that workflow i've got some reading to do by the sound of things <laughs> <laughs> it's really fascinating that I, uh, his um his podcast is like a like a lecture and there's there's so much great content in there but a really great summary of of the tools and there's so much covered uh in there um for just optimal kind of brain function from yeah your sleep uh what you eat when you eat your exercise and 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 those uh, aspects and how you can kind of bring them all together so um well that's where that's where the salt and the water came from yeah that's that's fascinating that i mean i'm a massive fan of podcasts clearly i do one but you know Mm. i listen all as well and i i have a commute every day which is both ways between an hour and a half and two hours yeah 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 Yeah. that's my time to listen to for the the podcast. podcast for sure ideal well i should be downloading i've taken notes i've got his name don't worry about that definitely Um, as as well i would say dr ted nayman um and the and he's uh, developed a book called the protein to energy ratio um fascinating um insight into um diet and optimizing your health um which is just again um a fascinating read but also just listen to his um his podcast he's on he's on many many podcasts so if you search mm. dr ted Naiman, um he his his talks are uh, fascinating from a diet point of view but also from an exercise point of view um and that's where i've kind of picked up a lot of the um the intensity for duration idea um and uh, maximizing the time uh, especially, you know, being being busy, trying to fit those things in on a daily basis, mm. um, to to keep your health uh, as in a, in an optimal state as possible, so that you're as productive as possible. Yeah, I mean, I've I'm 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 actually you know I'm losing weight as we speak, so I can sort of speak personally what it's like, and already um, I feel better. I mean, in simple terms, I just feel better about myself because you know I'm a stone lighter. Yeah. I, I I'm obviously looking a little bit better. I'm able to move around easier. Um, some simple processes like just tiny shoelaces just become easier because <laughs> there's not a belly in the way. You know, it's, it's and that does it massively affects your mindset and it you know it makes. Yeah. I, I'm generally quite a positive person anyway. Mm. I suppose I was one of those jolly fat guys before, and I'm hoping just to be a jolly thin guy sometime <laughs> soon. But uh, but yeah, that, that the whole and, and I, I I journal, I meditate. Um, I'm you know there's there's lots of things that I do that help me look after my brain as well. Mm. And that may be a, a step too far for the average guy on the street. And I was that average guy on the street. You know, I've sure. been on a journey and, I, and I've yeah. got myself to this point now, but yeah. you know, I want to make it so that it's, it's, you know, me and you having conversations about this is fine because we both kind of do that sort of stuff. But yeah. I want the guys down the pub who sit and berate their wife and talk about football and, and how many beers they've drunk to realize yeah. that there is a bit more to life than just that. And actually that probably doesn't make you very happy. No, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm totally going to, sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I didn't think I'd get any disagreement from you probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, I'm going to move on then to the, the four questions I like to ask all my guests. And uh, I believe these will be a surprise to you. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> take, take them as you will. Uh, the first one then, uh, and this is based around who needs instructions. You know, I want to get guys talking, communicating better. Um, what do you think it takes to be a man in the 21st century? 
I think it takes to be open and honest with yourself and the people around you. Hmm. And that's that's the kind of answer that comes up, I suppose, that has come up once or twice before. And that's a, a, quite a stumbling block for most guys, isn't it, really, about, you know, being yeah, vulnerable? I think so. And I think the reason for that is because is ego gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to get past that and your ego is probably the biggest barrier um, for a lot of men. And I say that from my own experience yes. as well. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm quite happy saying that. It's because when I think, uh, and, and being, uh, you know, a victim and a victim status that things around you are the reason why things aren't happening or, mm. or not working out the way that they should do. Um, and it's not, you do, start to realize that you are in charge of what happens around you but by being able to let go of the ego allows you to see that a little bit quicker um, and a little bit clearer as well and do you know what that's something i am still trying to overcome you know the ego gets in my way all the time oh you know i never used to do that and if i do that i'm not going to look so i'm not going to say look look so manly but that's kind of what i mean um, yeah. So, yeah, that's an ongoing process, definitely. Yeah, and I think it always will be, and it will always rear its head. But I think the the main thing is just being aware of it and mm. um, and and actively kind of saying, "Oh, hello," and yeah. uh, and welcoming it when you uh, when you realise that it's there. Um, I think the awareness of being aware of it and being conscious of it um, is probably a great step forward rather than just going along blindly and not even being aware that the ego is there front and center. For fear of going on a tangent, I'm just going to say this from a, a former professional footballer. We've just had the Euros. That team that kept, that went out there, um, it felt like to me they were the most accepted England team <laughs> I've seen play football in a long, long time yeah. because there didn't seem to be, um, like you say, the egos. There didn't seem to be the, the I am the big I am. There was a lot of humble guys in that football pitch and the country fell in love with them. Yeah, there was a lot of players there willing to just play their part, whatever that was, whether that yeah. was on the pitch, on the bench or not on the bench, but being there to support the team. Um, and it, I think that showed through quite clearly. It filled my heart with joy because as a lifelong football fan, I've kept my head down sometimes because I come from a, an era where football did not have a very good reputation. You know, it was hooligans and it, there was mm. fights. And, and sure. I, it's actually, it's not until I started to go watch Exeter and I started mingling with the fans and I made some friends and I realised that these guys I was watching the football with were normal like me. And I started to wear that badge of football on my chest a bit more and say, actually, it's okay to be a football fan because especially at a club like Exeter City, you know, a very family-based club, um, you know, the, the, the bravado of a, of a League Two, sometimes League One club is, is not quite as bad as the, as the Premiership, I suppose. <laughs> this is very anyway. true. Yeah, that was that was a big long answer to a, a very simple, well, not a simple question, but but thank you for indulging me on my tangent. Not question number two: um, Who has inspired, or who's been the most influential person or people in your life? Um, certainly, parents. Um, my brother from a young age, uh, and certainly um, since being with my wife, my wife 
undoubtedly. Brilliant. Is your brother younger or older than you? My brother's seven years older than me. So, yeah, it's been, you know, um, quite a kind of um, parent uh, impact on me because he he moved to Manchester when I was up there. So he was kind of around because he was going to university up in Huddersfield. So he wasn't too far away. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of uh, helpful and, and kind of took on a little bit of a parenting kind of role um through that time and certainly going through tough times so um i'm always kind of uh, very grateful and appreciative for for him being nearby um at at that time for sure and i want to come back and and just you know say that i did hear you mention your wife and and that again i i love that you know the amount of my, my friends are the guys who celebrate their ladies you know, and I, I'm fed up of the guys I, I meet and who go, yeah, what a bloody missus, she won't like that. And yeah, it, you know, yeah. I, <laughs> those days, surely those days are over. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Yeah, I'd like to think that they can uh, at least um, sit back and uh, appreciate what, um, what having someone that is always there encouraging you, um, wanting the best for you um, yeah. has. Uh, and it, you know, a, a great impact on, on on your life and and your well being. Absolutely. Third question: What sort of legacy would you like to leave? My legacy I would like to leave is I would like people to feel like they have the ability to access uh, physical activity uh, and an understanding of health at whatever stage they are at they know how to access it and they have the ability to be able to access it that's the legacy that i would like to leave that makes it as, is as accessible to anyone as possible that almost feels like it's a bit of a mission statement for you and your business very much so brilliant brilliant final question here comes the biggie Are you ready i'm ready Okay, you're qualified for this because you have two young lads. Tell me your best dad joke, please. My best dad joke? Oh, dear. My boys are going to absolutely be gutted if I don't remember their their joke. The, the thing is, my boys, they, they come up with the most terrible jokes that aren't even funny, but they're funny because they don't make any sense. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to think, right, what is the best? dad joke no it's not coming to me it's not coming to me i can't think uh, and you are I not alone i definitely had one i can't uh what is it no you put me on the spot i know and i'm i do apologize but i don't apologize <laughs> because it, it, it honestly this is the question i can ask you about legacy about what it takes to be a man in the 21st century but ask you yeah. a dad joke and it stumps everybody no <laughs> Uh, is there not a joke that you tell to your wife and she rolls her eyes or the kids just go, oh, dad, stop it, you're so lame. <laughs> no, there isn't actually. Wow, I've you've got such a cool family. <laughs> yeah, I know. And lucky me, eh? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> there, there's one that I, I can say that they're like, oh, that's actually disgusting. It's like, what's the definition of a snail? A bogey uh, with a crush helmet. <laughs> you see, that's it. That's a great dad joke. <laughs> A bogey with a crash helmet. Yeah, there Brilliant. we go. I knew it was in there somewhere. 
Superb. Thank you very much. And just before we finish, um, please tell us how people can get in touch with you if they've listened to what you've said, if they're interested, if they're inspired. What's the best way to get hold of you and, and your company? Uh, yeah. So on our, our, our website, so which is TaylorMade Rehab, um, we're also on Facebook, TaylorMade Performance and Rehabilitation. Um, and we're on Twitter as well as TaylorMade Rehab. So any of those um, networks, you'll be able to, to get in contact with us. Fantastic. Um, it just leads me to say, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's quite late on a Wednesday evening. And so, uh, you know, I know you've put the boys to bed and your wife had a Pilates, car, Pilates class to, to give and you've, you've managed to find the time. So um, from me and the audience, thank you very much indeed. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I really appreciate um, talking uh, on this uh, important topic with you um, and uh, great to catch up with you on some old times as well. So uh, much appreciated. Fantastic. Take care. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. We release a new episode every week, so make sure to subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon.